Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. I'm Greg Olson, and this is TE1, the podcast where we explore the evolution of the tight end position through conversations with some of the best players of all time. Hey, everybody. Welcome to TE1. I'm your host, Greg Olson. Today, I'm going to be talking to the legendary player and coach, Mike Dicka. But before we get into that, I want to tell you a little bit about why I'm doing this show. I've been in the tight end in the NFL now for 14 years. And since I came into the league back in 2007 to now going into my 14th year, I've seen this dramatic change in this shift in the role and the responsibilities of the tight end position. It's a position that has been ever changing, started as in essence, a third offensive tackle, lining up with his hand in the ground, looking to just block defensive ends, to now a staple highlight piece of a modern NFL offense. The position has never been more important than it is today. Run, pass, pass protection, short yardage, red zone. It doesn't matter the situation of the game. This individual player's role in the team is huge. We're either asked to block the same guy that an offensive tackle is asked to block. And on the very next play, we're asked to run a route and win and catch the ball for a first down against the same guy that a wide receiver is asked. Not only has the role and responsibilities on the field changed over the last 60 years, but the story really is for the first time, prominent superstar caliber players are at the tight end position. Household names that are known not only on your favorite team, but just NFL fans in general, they know these guys. And if you look around the league, there's a ton of them. That story needed to be told. How did this forgotten, end-of-the-line, pseudo-offensive lineman of 1960s turn into this playmaking, game-changing centerpiece of the modern NFL offense? What went into that transition? What went into that evolution? Well, what better way to tell that story than through the very players who paved that path? From the early 1960s with Mike Dicka all the way through 2020, We have seven guys who all share unique perspective, unique background, life experiences. And when you put it all together, it paints a really cool storyline arc. Let's take this journey together here on TE1. When you start talking about the evolution and the story of the tight end position, we started kicking around where we wanted to start. And there was one name, and that name is the legendary 
Hall of Fame Mike Dicka. I mean, Iron Mike Dicka is a name that runs synonymous with NFL football, both as a player, as a coach. And he's a guy that personally, my career kind of started in his shadow. Um, when I got drafted to Chicago in 2007, there was never an article or anything written that had my name in it that also didn't have his name. And I learned very quickly that Mike Dicka, the player, is just as large a personality and just as, as significant a figure as Mike Dicka, the Hall of Fame Super Bowl coach. And we're talking a guy who in the early 1960s, in 1961, a tight end is having over a thousand yards. A guy in 2020 has over a thousand yards and he's first team all pro and he's going to Pro Bowls. Mike Dick is doing this in 1961. And we got to understand the landscape of the NFL. This is pre-NFL AFL merger. There's no Super Bowl. You're winning NFL championships. They didn't even call it the Super Bowl yet. This is like before dawn. So to go back and have the opportunity to firsthand hear the growth and the starting point for the tight end position set this podcast series on a whole different trajectory. So like any story, there's always a starting point. And as it pertains to the tight end position, that starting point is Mike Dicka. So we venture out on this process of, of putting together this series and trying to find a way to connect with Mike Dicka. Through some mutual friends, I was passed along a phone number. And one day, driving home, I said, you know what? I'm going to take a shot at it. I'm going to call this number. And I call, and a woman answers the phone, and I can tell she wasn't quite sure what I was talking about and why I needed to talk to Coach. So I, I gave her a little bit of my background. It turned out to be Coach Dicka's wife, and she couldn't have been nicer. Um, she happened to be sitting right next to Coach Dicka, and she said, well, you want to talk to him? And I was like, yeah, uh, I would love to. So here's my conversation with Coach Dicka. Hey, Coach, how's it going? Okay, good. So obviously when I, when I got to town, it was, it was pretty clear that there was a few positions that the, the Chicago fans and the, and the people of Chicago really valued. Of course, linebacker was kind of the Mount Rushmore of players with Buckus and Brian Erlacher and Singletary. But I learned pretty quickly when it came to tight end, there was only one guy. Take us back real fast to just coming into the NFL in, in 1961, you're playing a position that no one really even knows what it means to be a tight end. Well, I caught 12 passes my senior year in college. That'll show you. I got to the Bears and we had a, our offensive coordinator and receivers coach was a guy named Luke Johnson. And he said, listen, you're going to be a tight end. You're going to block, but we're, we're going to throw you the football also. And he said, the reason we're going to throw you the football because they don't cover tight end with anybody, but safeties and linebackers, he said, and they can't cover. So I said, okay. I mean, it made sense to me. And uh, so I had a quarterback named Bill Wade. God bless his soul. Uh, he loved to throw the football to me. He just loved to. And uh, I think my rookie year, I caught 60-some passes, which is unheard of, 12 touchdowns. It was crazy. But he threw me the football by, for one reason. I caught it. I caught it, and then I did something with it. But he, that's and, and that's why he kept throwing to me. He believed in me, and he threw the ball to me. We had another receiver, Johnny Morris. He was fantastic. So either it went to Johnny or it went to me. I think it's important for people to really have a little dose of perspective. They're used to seeing tight ends have a 1,000 yards. I mean, just this past year in the Super Bowl, George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, both 1,000-yard players. 
1961, coach, there was six players in the entire NFL who had over a thousand yards and you were one of them. In 2019, there was 29 players over a thousand yards. So I, I just think how far you were ahead of your time to play not only the tight end position and be that productive, just to get a thousand yards in general was a feat that in that day and age was very uncommon. Well, yeah, and I think again, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't want to rattle my cage, but we had a, a guy who uh, was coaching me, Luke Johnson. He, he just knew, he said, I knew if we throw the ball at this guy, he'll catch it, and then we'll do something with it. Uh, and, and, and it was Luke that did it. I mean, he really talked Coach Allison to doing everything that we did with the tight end. So, you know, I, I wish I could say it, it was me, it could have been somebody else. But I, I'm, I'm glad I was the guy because it was a lot of fun. Obviously, we all know you from your Chicago days, both as a coach and a player, but I think it's real interesting. I want to hear your perspective and what sort of impact growing up in Pennsylvania. I mean, you're from the home of Tony Dorsett, Darrell Revis, Ty Law, and then, of course, yourself. That little fertile hotbed of high school football growing up in Pennsylvania, you talk about how close you were to your high school coach, Carl Ashman. Take us back to just those early days growing up, discovering your love for football. Well, my love for football was not my first love. I, I, I was a baseball player, and I was a pretty darn good baseball player as a kid. I had Little League, Pony League, Legion, all that. Uh, I played in the county league around Pittsburgh. I played against some real good players. A lot of them went into Major League ball. Uh, but I had a little problem with a curveball. But if you threw it straight, I could hit that guy. <laughs> so when they threw it, they made a bend. I wasn't too good at it. So uh, I stuck to football because actually it was easier for me. I played basketball, too. I played basketball. Too. I covered Jerry West. I don't know if you knew that. I covered Jerry West for about five minutes, and he had about 15 points, and I had four fouls. <laughs> so that wasn't very good. But, I, you know, no. I, I, I just I, was a, I, I like to compete, and I did compete. I wasn't very good at some of the things I competed at, but I tried. I had good coaches. My high school coach, Carl Ashman, was the greatest guy in the world. He's the one that encouraged me. Because like I said, I was a pretty good baseball player, and I was going to stick to baseball. And he said, no, you're coming out for football. And I did, and he uh, he kept me. He kept me as a little guy running around. Uh, and I was little. When I was a sophomore, I was little. And then I grew I grew after my junior year, really, into my senior year. So I got to be a little bigger and a little stronger. And, uh, you know, it all worked out. But I had a lot of good people in my life. Like I said, it wasn't for Coach Ashman. Uh, it never never would have happened. It wasn't my ditch. It was people who believed in me and taught me and helped me, and, and it worked. Yeah, and I, I think it's so important and so relevant to today's world where, you know, I have an eight-year-old kid, and all of our friends and their parents ask us, you know, which sport are you going to choose? Which sport are you guys going to focus on? And I always look at them crazy, and here we are talking – talking to someone of your caliber and not only growing up, are you talking about playing different sports? I mean, you're at, at Pitt, you're a three sports star. You're playing baseball, you're playing basketball. And then within football, you're playing both sides of the ball. I mean, you talk about just being a well-rounded athlete. I think that's really important. You know, we, we don't need to pick sports for our kids when they're, uh, when they're 10 years old. Exactly. I mean, like I said, I wasn't a great receiver. When it happened to me, I came to the bears. I mean, I get so many people. Like I told you, Luke Johnson, coach Hollis, Bill Wade, I mean, there were so many guys involved in it. It was unbelievable. Well, I'd really like to hear a little more about your relationship with, with George Hallis. Of course, you know, the founding father of the NFL, 
as a former bear myself, you really learned very quickly, not only what he meant to the organization in Chicago, to the fans in Chicago, but just across the NFL landscape. What kind of impact did he make on you as a young kid back in 1961, starting out your career? Well, it was, it was all about discipline. It's about doing the right things for the right reason. In 1963, the Bears won it. And uh, being a part of that was a big thing to me. Coach Alice, uh, he, he and Coach uh, Luke Johnson put, put the offense together. And once they saw what they had in Johnny and, and myself, hey, hey, we're going to throw the football a lot more. And we had, we had Willie Gallimore running back. He was fantastic. That's fantastic. He was killed in an automobile accident in 1964, but he was fantastic. I mean, I'm talking about uh, this guy was, uh, he was special. It wasn't a fluke that we won in 63. We should have won in 65, but, uh, you know, it was, to me, playing for Coach Charles was great. You knew what he expected, and Coach Charles the same way. You know what they expected from you. They expected your best effort, and that's all you can give. You give your best effort. Well, you you talked about it. You won in 1963, your NFL champs. You've been to six consecutive Pro Bowls. Now 1967 comes. There's a lot of conflict and controversy going on in the NFL circles. Obviously, you lived it firsthand. Al Davis becomes the AFL commissioner. The AFL and the NFL are kind of competing to be the prominent professional football league in America. And I don't know how many people know this. You actually signed a contract to go be with the Houston Oilers in the AFL, got a $50,000 signing bonus, and then the only reason that contract was voided was due to the NFL merger that was announced later on that year. I I find that fascinating. I know the Oilers drafted you also in in the AFL draft back in 61. Talk us through that whole process. That must have been uh, kind of a wild time, not only in the NFL, but for your career. Well, it was a wild time. It was crazy. You understand what we were playing for in those days? And somebody come up and say, hey, we want to give you $50,000. Hey, okay, I'll do it. You know, and then you no know doubt. what about it, you do it. And uh, was it the right thing to do? Probably not. But I, I did it. So I ended up uh, at that time, uh, you know, making some pretty good money. But, uh, of course, he got me into a situation where I got, he tried me to Philadelphia. The reason he did, he was good friends with, uh, with the coach in Philadelphia. Coach Hallis traded me there. Uh, Philadelphia was just a nightmare for me. I mean, I, two wasted years of my life, two wasted years of their life. And uh, uh, I retired from football, basically. Got a phone call one day. A uh, guy said, hello. I said, he said, Mike, this is Tom Landry with the Dallas Cowboys. Coach, how are you? He said, Mike, I don't know if you can play anymore or not, but I just traded for you. But he said, I'm willing to take a chance on you. If you take a chance in yourself, I went to Dallas. I got in the best shape of my life. And I probably became the best player I ever was in Dallas for the Cowboys because I became a team player. And uh, I really enjoyed my time in Dallas. Well, that, that really resonates with me. It's funny. It's right now at the stage of my career, I'm going into my 14th season, just spent the last nine years in one place in Carolina. The last couple of years, similar to your years in, in Philly, the last two years I, I dealt with injuries. My production was way down, got released by them and Seattle came calling and said, we still believe that you can play. We need, we could, well, we you're could really use your vet. I, I, well, I appreciate you, that. You're, you're, you're a very good football player. I think when, when teams look at people, when they fight, when they see a guy who's a good football player, there may be extenuating circumstances in the situation they're in that make them 
not be able to fulfill their true talent, their, their maximum talent. But you, you're a good football player, so you'll be okay. I mean, and, and it's just like I was okay. I met the greatest guy I've ever known in Coach Tom Landry, and uh, it, it was just, uh, it was it worked, turned out to be perfect. Well, I think they feel the same way. I think, you know, I, I, Tom Landry is quoted saying that, you know, you were one of the best things that ever happened to that organization. You don't win Super Bowl six if you don't come. Gil Brandt, who's a Hall of Fame, just got inducted into the Hall of Fame, legendary NFL personnel guy, was quoted as saying that back then they knew they had a good team. They had a lot of good players, but they didn't have a lot of leadership. And Coach Landry identified Mike Dicka. He brought him in here for one purpose, because nobody ever outworked Mike. Nobody was a better teammate for us in those four years that he played. I met a man named Landry, and the man named Landry changed my life. And uh, on and off the field, he made big changes in my life and and who I was and, and the way I looked at things. We're going to take a quick break, so make sure you stay tuned for more from TE1. Welcome back to TE1. Let's get back into it. Tom Landry not only changed your playing career in, in your own words, but he, he really started what became a legendary Super Bowl caliber coaching career. Um, you know, talk to us about that call when, when he reached out and said, hey, you know, coach, you know, Mike, we'd, we'd really like you to be the special teams, work with the special teams, coach the tight ends. I know at the time, Dan Reeves was a friend of yours, was a young up and coming guy in the staff. Uh, I've heard you talk at length about him and your relationship. What made you get into coaching? What what was it like coaching for, for Coach Landry that allowed you to feel prepared that when you got your chance to go back to Chicago, that obviously that culminated in, in not only a great, you know, playoff runs and Super Bowl runs, but, you know, the 85 Super Bowl team? Well, I'll tell you what happened when I retired from football. I got into the, the restaurant nightclub business down there with some guys, and we were doing very well. I mean, really, we had about four of these places, you know, Oklahoma City and Houston and Dallas and uh, Fort Worth and and uh, we were going to make a lot of money. And, uh, and so I, I thought, right, well, I'm set for life with this. And when, when the opportunity came to be a coach, I hadn't thought about it. But I realized it's something I wanted to do. And then when I got into coaching, found out I really did like it. And, uh, you know, and it was, it's all Coach Landry. Now, I don't know what he saw. I think Chicago Bear fans across the country are thankful for this one letter where you wrote to George Hallis and said, hey, Papa Bear, I want to I fix things. I know we didn't end on the best of terms. Here you are as a young coach, your first couple of years coaching with Landry in Dallas. You write this letter to George Hallis, and little do you know, shortly thereafter, you become the head coach of the Chicago Bears, kind of where it all started for you. And I'm sure Chicago Bear fans across the country are pretty, uh, are pretty happy that you wrote that letter. What, what inspired that? What made you feel like you needed to make things right with with George Hallis and, 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 and what was that process from that letter towards being named, you know, not only being named the Chicago bears head coach, but of course that 85, you know, Super Bowl run. I feel like that whole, that whole time frame there never happens if it wasn't for this letter. Well, you're right. Uh, and I was in there was late, uh, you know, we, we worked uh, on the offensive game plan and I was in there a little bit late. So I said, I'm going to write a letter. I said, this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. I said, I want a chance to go back to the Bears. So I wrote this letter to Coach Ellis. And I didn't think too much about it. I really didn't. And uh, so um, I guess it was right near the end of the season. Uh, uh, 
Coach Landry called me and he said, how are you, how are you doing? I said, fine, everything's fine. He said, you enjoy here? I said, yeah, I do. He said, you know, I got a call from George Ellis. And I said, whoa, good. How's he doing? He said, fine. He said, he wants to talk to you. I said, what about? He said, I think he wants to offer you a job coaching the Bears. And I said, wow. And I looked at him and I said, am I ready for that? He said, you're ready. That was it. When the opportunity came, I took it. And uh, whether I was ready or not, I made some mistakes in the beginning. But uh, one, one thing you can do, you can cover your mistakes if you got good football players. And I had a lot of good football players when I got to Chicago. You did. I mean, that 85 team, you know, again, you, you couldn't go anywhere in Chicago. You know, when I was a member of the Bears for those first couple of years of my career, that 85 team, you know, kind of lives lives forever. It's it's the standard that all Bears teams are held to. And uh, you guys, you guys casted a very wide shadow, but understandably so. I mean, you, you're, you are, Coach, the, the only person in the history of professional football to win a Super Bowl as a player, a coach, and an assistant coach, and the only guy in history to ever win a Super Bowl as a player and a, and a head coach with the same organization. Just talk about what that means. When you start here, I and mean, we can rattle off catches, yards, but the impact that you've been able to make on the NFL and the Chicago Bears and the Dallas Cowboys, what, at this stage now in your life, as you reflect and look back, like what is that legacy that you hope people remember you for? What, what are the things that you take the most pride in and you look back the most fondly on? Well, I'm very honest with you. I think I was in the right place at the right time and I did the right things. I mean, that's as simple as I can put it. Uh, when uh, the opportunity came, uh, I took it and I made it work. Uh, the Bears already, they were pretty well. Buddy had a defense there that was pretty darn good because I had coached together with the Cowboys and I knew how darn darn good they were on the defensive side of the ball. But that wasn't going to work. We had to have an offense. And so we had an offense. We got an offense that we could run the football. We led the league in time of possession. We led the league in first down. So we did a lot of things. We led the league in rushing. So we, we had a team that could complement our defense by keeping them off the field. And even though we didn't score a lot of points, but uh, we were pretty darn good on offense, too. I remember watching this Monday night football game uh, in 2013. I'm sure you would look back and remember it fondly. Uh, Soldier Field, Monday night football against the Dallas Cowboys, and they retire your number 89 jersey in front of the the Bears crowd. I remember watching it live um, on TV back in 2013. I could just see, I think everyone, whether they knew you or didn't know you, could just see the look on your face, the pride, the enjoy, the joy, the emotions just pouring out of you. Just take us back to, to that night. Take us back to leading up to that. Was it a coincidence that it was against the Cowboys? Was that the plan all along? I, I, take us back, because I feel like that was such a special kind of ribbon to be tied on a historic 50, 60-year run in the NFL. And, and I feel like a lot of it was culminated in that night. Craig, I really don't know if it was uh, about, you know, by design or not, it, 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 because I came from the Cowboys. It, that's when they retired my number or not. I don't know. It was a great honor. Uh, I, I said, you know, uh, I think... When we're young and we're playing the game, sometimes we don't appreciate all that the game gives to us. And I probably was one of those people who didn't appreciate everything. But I'll tell you what, uh, my time with the Bears, my time with Alice, even though it didn't end up the way people thought it would, uh, but uh, he, he sent me to Philadelphia. 
it was the best thing ever happened to me because I got a lot of humility and I found out that I wasn't as quite as good as I thought I was. And then the chance, the opportunity when I went to Dallas and met a man named Landry, it was, uh, it was, it was, it was unbelievable. I mean, uh, and he, uh, he gave me an opportunity and I took advantage of it and I made it work. So as we started off the, the interview kind of in closing here, coach, and uh, I'll let you go. Your time again is, is so appreciated on this topic. When, when they brought up the idea of, of doing this, this series and talking about the evolution of the tight end position, the first person I thought of was we can only do this. If we talk to coach Dicka, the, I don't know if the tight end position is what it is. If you don't bust onto the scene as the rookie of the year back in 1961, um, you know, looking back at all the things that you were able to accomplish your career as you now have evaluated the tight end position now for 60 years of your NFL, you know, your NFL existence, the last 60 years, how, what, what would you say is the, the greatest change? What do you see going forward? What have been the main, the main kind of milestones along that 60 year journey that you've seen specifically through the position of the tight end? Well, you, you look at the way the defense are played. They can't cover the tight end with anybody, but a, but a safety or, or, or uh, a linebacker, basically. And so, you know, you, you got, uh, you're not being covered by the best part of the defense. And now when you have outside receivers like uh, they have in the league today, what are you going to do? You're going to cover that guy with a safety or a linebacker. I mean, the tight end shouldn't be one of your best receivers. It should be a guy who can get open. I don't care if he's worth the worth salt. You know, you ought to be able to get a, a, a open from a safety or a linebacker. And then that's basically what I was running against. Well, I'll tell you, you trained Coach Ron Rivera real well because – he threw me the ball. His teams threw me the ball a lot over the last nine years. So he must have uh, he must have been paying attention to well, the to your teachings. Are, you know that they're they're very important to an offense, and you know that Greg because you played the position, and I know it. A lot of people don't, but then uh, it, it, it really was an important position, and it still is. I mean, it's very important. But right now they got so dang on many you know, five receiver sets. But I mean, it, it's pretty hard to explain. But in those days, it was basically two wide receivers, maybe three. Well, coach, it was a privilege for me to play in Chicago. It was a privilege to play the tight end position kind of in your shadow uh, for those four years. Uh, Sometimes I wish it was, it would have went on longer, but this was also a privilege to have a chance to sit down and reflect and, and, and hear your stories and hear your perspective, not only on the tight end position, but on just the NFL, on your career, on your legacy. And uh, as a young player who knows what it was like to, to play in your shadow. This, this has really been an honor of a lifetime, an honor of my career, a real highlight. So I really appreciate your time. We started off with one of the all-time greatest. So I appreciate it, Coach. I'm glad, I'm glad you're doing well. And uh, I really appreciate your time. Oh, Greg, thank you. You, you are one of the best. And, and uh, I really respect the way you played the game and the way you handled yourself. And uh, thank you so much. It's, a, it's really a it's nice to be remembered, but it's been a long time. Let's face it. But thank you. Well, you don't have to worry about that, Coach. Everybody remembers very well. You take care. Right. Um, God bless please you, tell and tell your wife thank you for putting up with me when I called your house that day. <laughs> All right, she's okay. She's take here. care. Bye bye. Thanks so much. Take care, Coach. I mean, how cool is that? I know firsthand. I've seen it. What it's like to play under the shadow of of Mike Dicka and the legacy that he leaves in Chicago and the fans that just love and embrace him. 
And to hear him just open up and, and the vulnerability of talking about his down years in Philadelphia after he was sent there with his fractured relationship with George Hallis, to then Tom Landry kind of pulling him from the ashes and saving his career, and then opening the doors to, to being a coach, how that decision to be a coach led to him fixing that relationship with George Hallis, who had shipped him to Philadelphia years earlier, going on to then becoming the Super Bowl winning coach of his beloved Bears. Through his words and through his stories, I, I just, that's been a highlight of my career to have a chance to sit down with Mike Dicka and just what a joy it was to have that conversation. If you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and tell your friends. Next episode, I'm talking to Ozzie Newsom, so make sure to listen in. TE1 is a Blue Wire podcast. 